this morning, I want to take the opportunity to speak about the condition of your heart, and I've chosen to speak about a parable of Jesus. It's a parable in Mark chapter 4, and it's the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils. So we're going to focus on that this morning. So let's look at the first nine verses of chapter 4, and then verse 14 through to verse 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. This is a new form of teaching that Jesus embarked on. No longer does he uh, preach and teach in the synagogues, but now he is preaching in a different way, and he is preaching by the lake, out in the open. Uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley uh, moved out of the church. In actual fact, they were kind of booted out of the church, and they started to preach to crowds on horseback. And it, it is just a different form, and Jesus starts to preach in a different way. Uh, a large crowd gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, and even 100 times. And then Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear. And then verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the, world, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Others, still others, like seeds sown amongst the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, and even 100 times what was sown. This is a great, great parable. This is probably one of the most autobiography, biographical uh, parables that Jesus speaks, tells, because it's, it's, it's a reflection of his own ministry. Because as Jesus was gaining uh, popularity, as people were coming, uh, as, as the crowds were gathering, maybe walking, many walking from many different places together to hear what Jesus was talking about, Jesus knew that this popularity would wane, that the crowds would eventually fall away, and ultimately he would end up at the cross. So where, where does the fault lie here? The sower, the farmer, Jesus. 
is, is the sower. The seed is the word of God. Where does the fault lie? How about the soils? Well, let's, let's look carefully at this. The sower, it's the master himself. When Jesus started his ministry and he spoke with such authority, the people looked at Jesus and they said, what manner of man is this who speaks with such authority? They wanted to make him king. Uh, but Jesus knew that it wouldn't last, that there would be indifference, that there would be unconcealed contempt aimed towards him, and that they would fall away eventually. You know, when revivals have taken place, the, the, the real momentum of the revival comes and sweeps people. And people just are drawn in all over the place as, as revival begins to sweep a town, a city, a nation. But ultimately, that begins to wane. And people begin to fall away. The old familiar, familiarity creeps in. Complacency comes. And the ebbing away of people takes place. The sower. Is it his fault? You know, we can find a lot of things. I've been in ministry, this is my 41st year of ministry. Started when I was a young man. And I, I, I did church history. Boy, are there some tales to tell about Christianity. Are there tales to tell about the church? Just some of the stuff that's beginning to unfold even now in these last few years, I just think, wow, we can tear Christianity to tatters. But can we find fault with Jesus? You know, I guess that I have to agree with Pilate. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, Pilate looked down and says, I can find no fault with him. In serving for 41 years, yes, the church Yes, the history of Christianity is shocking. But to find fault with Jesus, can't find any fault. He stands supreme. How about the seed? The sower comes and he throws the seed out. The seed is the word of God. If the harvest fails, is it the seed? I mean, let's consider for a moment what Christians actually believe. Christians believe that there was a cross on a lonely hill and there was an empty tomb. That's the essence of Christianity. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead and the tomb is empty. That's the essence. And down through the centuries, countless lives have sprung up to eternal life People are living a victorious Christian life even today. The Word of God is the greatest regenerative and transforming power that there is. It brings men and nations together. It scatters darkness. And it is the power of God unto salvation. I cannot find any fault with the Word of God. So let's look at the soil. Four different types of soil. The hard soil. So when the farmer is throwing the seed, there are obviously some pathways that the farmers have trodden on and they have become hard. And some of the seed falls on the pathway and the birds come and they pick it up because it doesn't take root, it can't go in. And sometimes you preach and you just know that that's a hard heart. 
just a lack of interest. I'm here today at church because I'm here with my auntie. I'm here with my family. My, 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 my cousin's child has been dedicated and I am reluctant. I have got a twisted arm and I've been brought to church. You know, we don't have the guts today like John Wesley of old who when he was standing up, he had a guy fall asleep in his church <laughs> and he stopped and he looked at this guy and this guy was out for the count. And he said, fire! And the guy stood up, he says, where? He says, in hell, man, for, for those who sleep under the gospel. <laughs> I, I, I don't have the courage to do that, guys. <laughs> How about indifference? This, this is just irrelevant to life. Life has sucked me in and it's just Christianity, religious things, irrelevant. You know, I had a colleague years ago who left the ministry and he went in and he became director of St. Luke's Hospice. That's a hospice where people go to die. And just in chatting to him one day, he said to me, he said, you cannot believe the interest that these people have in spiritual things. I mean, it's nothing like cramming for your final exams, man. They, they become so interested all of a sudden because they know that eternity is knocking on the door, that they're going to end their life. How about prejudice? Prejudice hardens your heart. I mean, I had a picture the other day of prejudice. The tight skirts of prejudice shorten the steps of progress. And this is a picture of a model, you know, in a very tight dress, trying to, trying to get a little bit of distance, you know, but it can't go far. The tight skirts of prejudice shorten the steps of progress. How about an unteachable spirit? You know, just pride, fear, refusing to accept that Christianity is the right way of life. How about immorality? Getting involved with sin. It hardens your heart. Tradition. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, you put aside the commands of God to obey the traditions of men. Arnold Toynbee said this, familiarity is the opiate of the imagination. Doing the same thing day after day. I find it fascinating one of the members of the congregation came. They'd just been coming for a while. They'd just gone through the membership program. And she said, you know, when I come to this church, I just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, it should be. You just never know what's going to happen. Who's going to be leading worship? Who's going to be preaching? What's going to happen? Who's going to give testimony? It's going to be different all the time. Must we, we must never get into that traditional situation. Disappointments. Disappointments can harden your heart because you've trusted, you've believed in somebody and they've disappointed you. Listen, no matter who it is, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. Felix, in Acts chapter 24, had listened to Paul. And Paul's preaching. He, he, Felix, his heart became troubled. He trembled. The gospel started to pull at his heart's door. And this is what he said. Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. And the Bible does not have any record that he summoned Paul again. 
Sometimes when we reject the gospel, if we don't respond immediately, sometimes our hearts do become hard. We talk about hardened sinners, but sometimes hardened saints are more difficult to deal with than hardened sinners. The rocky soil. This is soil that has a thin layer. Maybe there's a heavy layer of limestone underneath the soil, and the seed takes root and it goes down, but it hits the limestone, but it's shallow. And so when the sun comes up, it burns this already growing seed, and it shrivels up. And some people come to know the Lord, and they, yes, they respond emotionally, yes, I'm for Jesus, and then they know that this religion is not just an emotional response, but it requires obligations. Billy Graham said, it takes 5% of your time to draw a man into the Christian faith. It's 95% to disciple him and to be with him and to mentor him. And sometimes we have an emotional response. I had a friend, we were a group of five friends growing up in Durban. And I had a friend, every time we went to a youth rally, when we had an appeal at church, he was up there in the front. I said, you've given your life to Christ five times. What's, what's going on? He just had this response. But he wasn't spending time in the Word. He wasn't fellowshipping. He wasn't spending time in prayer. There was a, a man one day in Luke chapter 9 that came to Jesus. And he said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And he was just gushing with emotion. And he wasn't prepared to pay the price. And Jesus looked at him and saw exactly what was going on. And says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. You see, sacrifice was involved. Salvation is not a vocation. And church membership roles are full of people who have joined the church without realizing that it takes a lot of time, that it takes a lot of patience, that it takes a lot of effort to become disciples of Jesus Christ. We have to move on. And there's service out there. Jesus, on the Mount of Transfiguration, took John, Peter, and James up onto the mountain. And while he was praying, the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured. In other words, from within, transfigured, he started to shine, and Moses and Elijah came to minister to Jesus. Peter, overwhelmed at this incredible experience, said, let's stay up here. Let's build three tabernacles for Moses, for Elijah, and for Jesus. Let's stay here. And Jesus said, no, we're going back down the mountain. And as they went back out, down on the mountain, the next story is that they encountered a demonized boy. A person arrived at church once. It was the end of the service. We were singing the last hymn. And they said, is the service over? And one of the guys said, no, the service is not over. The service has just begun. The worship is over, but the service has just started. Service is out there. We need to get out. Jackie Pullinger, who planted a church in Hong Kong, in the old city, just full of drugs, full of prostitution, full of sin. Her words were, God wants soft hearts and hard feet. Hmm? It requires hard work. It requires service. 
shallow soil. There are those that respond emotionally and think, I'm done. And then thorny soil. Thorny soil. Sometimes farmers are lazy. They don't want to pull out all the roots. And this is the most deceptive of all the soils. Because here comes a whole multiplicity of interests. You, know, you fill your life with stuff that you have no time left for Christ. And your priorities are out of whack. Jesus says in that passage that the thorns choke the word. You see, our spiritual lives have only so much time and so much space. And we need to be able to move. If it's so crowded in with stuff, with our business, with our family, with, 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 with hobbies. The other day I heard that somebody bought a boat as one of his toys. That he was, I, I thought, I wonder how often he's going to miss church because of that boat. I wonder how often he's going to miss being with community and being with spiritual family because of that boat. I'm not saying that it's bad, but it's all about priorities. A doctor, one of his patients died, and he said of this person, he tried to do much, to do too much, and he succeeded. You know, there's a lovely story of uh, Charles Darwin when he was on the Galapagos Islands. He wrote the book Great Lives, Great Deeds. When he was on the island, you know, he's the father of evolution. And he saw, he was looking at some of these beetles. And he said, I've never seen beetles like that. And he picked up one. And he saw another one that was different. And he picked up that one. And he thought, well, there's a third one. It's different. I've never seen these beetles. And he didn't know what to do. So he put the one beetle in his mouth and picked up the third one. And the one that was in his mouth squirted acid down his throat. He ended up with a bout of terrible coughing and spluttering. And he lost all three beetles. Doing too much. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus talks about three loyalties, competitive loyalties. Worry. Worry. Any of you worried here? It is that you're trying to do too much in your own power. You have elevated that problem those people to first place. The Bible clearly says we need to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. The second one is riches, material things. Material things by themselves are fine, but it's about priorities. It's about which is most important. You remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, lay aside all your riches. Go and sell them. Go and sell them. And give it to the poor. This is what I expect from you. And he could not do it. And the third one is pleasures. What are your pleasures? What are the things that captivate you? You see, your pleasures might not be wrong in your expression of faith. But I want to ask, can you hear God in the midst of your pleasure? 
Can you hear God in the midst of your pleasure? Good soil. Let's look at good soil a little bit now. How does my heart have good soil? Well, I think first of all, we need to have a true experience of God. In Mark chapter 8, this is called the watershed of the gospel. Jesus is with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi and he says two questions, asks two questions. He says, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, John the Baptist, risen from the dead, Elijah of old, one of the prophets. And then he, he asks this question, the most important question that Jesus possibly asked in the Gospels. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? You see, Christianity, first and foremost, is not a second-hand opinion. It has to be a first-hand relationship, a first-hand commitment. It has to be a relationship that we have entered into with this person called Jesus Christ. It is first and foremost a relationship. Who do you say Jesus is? The second thing is, you need to have the Holy Spirit walking beside you and empowering you. Remember Jesus said, before he ascended, and we had Ascension Day on Thursday, Jesus said, before he ascended, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. These were the disciples that had been with Jesus, that had walked with him, that had participated. Come on, Lord, you can't tell us to wait. We want to get out into that world. You have said, go into all the world and make disciples, but now you're telling us to wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Christian life is going to be very ineffective without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. First, the relationship. Second, you need to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, when the church, the Holy Spirit fell, the, the, the first description of the early church was they devoted themselves. How devoted are you to your community, to your Christian community? They devoted themselves. And I think there has to be a response. Yes, I'm committed to participating. Let me tell you, reluctance is our greatest challenge. Sorry, I can't be at church on Sunday because it's too much rain. Huh? I, had, I had excuses like that this morning. Are you made of sugar and spice? <laughs> There's a verse that says, uh, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself. Sorry, deny yourself. Say no to yourself. Say no to that warm duvet on a cold winter's morning. How devoted are you? So, we need to plow that soil. A, a, a field can lie fallow, but we need to plow. What does it mean to plow? It means to come to that place where you allow God to disrupt stuff, to pull stuff up. It means doing a 180 degree turn. You see, if, if God is not breaking something open for us, then nothing's going to happen. There is no blessing without effort. There is no harvest without plowing. There is no making uh, of anything without breaking. Before you can build a house, a tree has to be cut down to size or uprooted. Before you can make a house, rocks have to be cut and broken. 
Before life, there has to be death. There was an old preacher that was walking along the road many centuries ago, and he saw a farmer plowing the field. And as he was breaking that hard ground and pulling the plow up, and pulling the plow up, and God spoke to him, and his prayer was, God, do that to me. Do that to me so the seed can fall in, that the seed can take root. And we need to fertilize the soil, to spend time in the Word, to meditate on it. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 and 9 says, Meditate on the Word day and night. Allow the Word of God to saturate our hearts and saturate our minds. Let it permeate our thoughts. Let it permeate our conversations. Let all negativity begin to wane as we take up faith and confidence and victory. And sometimes we need to allow the Word of God just to wash to wash that thing away. If you've been washing your face one day and you've got a little bit of soap in your eyes, you just keep on washing. Keep on flushing that soapiness, that sting out of your eyes. And that's what we need to do with the Word of God. We need to sow also. Put the Word of God into the soil. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 to 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest, if we do not give up. Paul Harvey said this, if you don't believe it, if you, if you don't live it, you don't believe it. If you don't live it, you don't believe it. Are you living the Word of God? Don't just say, I believe. Put it into practice. In James chapter 1 and verse 22, prove yourselves to be doers of the Word and not just hearers. For those who think they are hearing often deceive themselves. The, the Living Bible says, remember it's a message to obey, not just to listen to, so don't fool yourselves. Christianity is a, is, is, is a, is a, is a faith, is a religion that puts things into practice. You know, when at the beginning of John's Gospel, it says, and the Word became flesh. It was talking about Jesus, the Logos, became flesh, the incarnate Savior of the world. But we can take that and say, the Word, your Word that you hear, the Word that you read, the Word that you hear and understand, you need to put it into practice. The guy had a dream and he went to heaven one day. And he walked in with St. Peter and he looked at all of the shelves of heaven and it looked like dried peaches all over the shelves. And, and the guy said, what are dried peaches doing here? He says, no, no, those are not dried peaches. Those are people's ears. The ears, they heard the word of God. The ears came to heaven, but the rest of the bodies went somewhere else. <laughs> it's so easy to listen and to do nothing. It's so easy to sit in the pew and do nothing. It's so easy to hear a sermon on service and you agree with it and do nothing. We have to obey and be doers of the Word. You know, somebody once said, I spend six days a week sowing wild oats and then on Sunday I come to church and pray for crop failure. Good soil. Good, clean, good soil. The Word of God falls into our hearts. 
This is a parable of optimism. Yes, they're failures. But this parable speaks about the optimism of Jesus Christ. The negatives are incidental. But the importance and the emphasis on this parable is not on the failures, but on the abundant crop that takes place. How do you measure success? When we first started the ministry, and Midler is, by the way, at a lead elders conference for wives this weekend. So I've had the weekend by myself. I won't tell you how I feel about that, because it might be to my detriment. No. <laughs> so when we first started the ministry, we stayed in a house in Mullington, and I bought a lemon tree. It was a tiny little scrawny lemon tree. It was probably one of the cheaper versions and not one of the grown ones, and I put it in. Years later, I went back to that church, and I was absolutely amazed. Here it was, a big, beautiful lemon tree that was producing such unbelievable fruit, wonderful, wonderful fruit. I didn't see that. But I planted it. And it was going to be for the benefit of somebody else. You see, success is not about reaping the harvest. Success is about sowing the seed. What seed are you sowing in people's lives? What seed are you sowing in people's lives on a daily basis? The impact that you're having, speaking to those people, mentoring younger people, uh, sharing, and, and for younger people to go to older folk and say, just help me through. I just want to sit and talk to you for a little bit. You know, one of the things that I really, really regret as an older guy looking back at the earlier part, I was so arrogant when I was in my 20s. Man, I was just, I, I had it. I mean, I had a fast-growing church. I looked at some of the old guys in the denomination, and I'm thinking, shame. I mean, how arrogant. How arrogant. And I had a church that was pumping, had worship teams going, and we were reaching out, we were planting other churches. Oh, shame, he's got 50 people in his church, and I had 150. I mean, if I could relive that, I would have loved to have said, I want to just spend an hour with you. I'll buy the coffee, I'll buy the milkshake, whatever, I just want to spend an hour with you. Just to glean from you. To be mentored by you. To be discipled. Success is measured in the seed that you sow, not in the harvest that you reap. I mean, I prayed last week for Leonard and Carla, who are have just started the PM congregations. I mean, the six o'clock congregation was just exploding to such an extent that they had to start another congregation. And together, they are the fastest growing church in the Josh Jen stable. It's Stellenbosch. I, we planted that church. I remember on a cold winter's morning coming to this church and there's 25 people. The students are all away on holiday and there's 25 solitary souls in this massive hall that was even bigger than this. And I'm thinking, oh dear God, is this worth it? And they've got 270 students piling in with families starting to join into that PM congregation. But some person with God-given courage had to start that work. It's not about the harvest. It's about the seeds that you sow. So I want to say to you as I finish off, guard your heart. 
Guard your heart with holiness. Guard your heart with purity. Keep your eyes on Him and trust Him. See, the point of this parable is not the fact that some seed falls on hard and rocky and thorny ground. The point of this parable is that some soil falls on good soil. What is the condition of your heart? And the good soil produced 30 and 60 and 100 fold. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the Lord trusted us with that. I'm so glad that when I read the Bible, I see Stephen, as he was being stoned, he looked up and he said, into your hands I commit my spirit, Lord. And there was a man holding cloaks, holding garments, watching this thing, and his name was Paul. Saul, who became Paul. Saul means mighty. Paul means little. Interesting. Lo, you be up, lifted up, Lord. And there was Paul. Stephen sowed seed as he prayed that prayer. And Paul was converted a little while later. Boy, that wasn't a hundredfold. That was 10,000fold. The greatest, greatest missionary that the world has ever known. Don't listen to pessimists. Don't listen to people who say the church is diminishing. The church in, in the past century has grown a hundred times. Jesus said, if I be lifted up on the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus had the certainty and he had the belief in the sovereignty of God. It wasn't just an empty dream, but it was a magnificent and it was a triumphant reality. What's the condition of your heart this morning? 